Uh, we need to tackle these problems earlier than by the time someone's got the product in their hand. And all doing things like that does is CYA, cover your ass. And welcome to episode 427 of Brews News Week, recorded on Thursday, 13 July 2023. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Brews News, and I'm again joined by my colleagues, Sabrina Kunz and Ian Watson. Welcome back to you both. Hi. Hi, guys. A bit of news around this week, so we might, uh, you know, no one's travelled, so we won't do any of the uh, usual intro talk. We'll just go straight into, uh, in, into the news of the week. Uh, so the first article, Matt, you'll be very familiar with. We've been following this for a while. Tribe announces relaunch with Clean Slate. Yes, a, a media release went out this week from Tribe where they were on, you know, clearly trying to uh, put out the positive communications. Um, and again, as, as often happens, you'll see that media release reprinted widely. Um I waited because, again, Tribe was a huge announcement when they went into administration. Um, it's had big impacts on um, suppliers particularly. A lot of suppliers lost a lot of money um, as a result of the uh, voluntary administration, and that's had a lot of flow-on effects um, with suppliers tightening. So it was one that I wanted to dig in a little bit more about. So I sought out a chat with Heath Baker, who is the new uh, CEO. Formerly, he was the uh, general manager of Partner Brewing, having only just joined the company in January this year, uh, about eight weeks before they went into administration. Um, and he said that They've been able to successfully restructure its financial position with a clear and committed ownership and has set a new path for their organization. Um, first and foremost, uh, the voluntary administration process has effectively cleaned up the balance sheet, which is very important. And you know, certainly, if you're a company that is starting without, I think, the $67 million worth of debt that they had um, for a company that was only valued at potentially $30 million, that is a huge boon um, for them. Um, he said that as, as a result, they've cut costs, they've reduced uh, SKUs, stock keeping units from 60 to 20, but they are at the end of the day, a partner brewing business and they're going to focus on that. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, I thought his comments around their point of difference was quite interesting because he talked about backing ourselves on our quality, um, which is a pretty big statement um, when, you know, not, not specifically calling out any competitor in, in, uh, by name, but since Tribe, um, change, well, since Brewpack changed its name to Tribe and moved to Goldburn, we've seen a major competitor in Melbourne in the form of Brick Lane. And, uh, you know, Brick Lane won a ridiculous number of gold medals um, at the AI. I think it must be a record for any brewery yeah. um, at the AIBAs this year. So to, to back yourself on quality is a, is a huge comment when you, when you see your competitor doing that. But anyway, um, yeah, in, interesting to see that Tribe is out um, and, you know, pushing itself. Actually, the one other thing I'll say is, and I don't know what to make of this, I'll be honest, and I was, you know, very circumspect in in the article but the Elsie Cameron Foundation um, which was a big part of the announcement it's a charitable foundation based in Tasmania it just seems weird to me that a charitable foundation owns a brewery um, and that they've they've lost a lot of money um, on their investment um, and in fact if you go and look at the finances um, for 2022 the um, foundation made a $32 million loss, which coincides with what they wrote off um, as part of their investment in um, Tribe. So I, I suspect those two are available. But Jan Cameron seems to well, just Google Elsie Cameron Trust and Jan Cameron, and there's a very, very interesting corporate history there. Um, and I don't know what to make of that. Um, but ownership matters uh, in, in, in brand. So uh it, it, it was just an interesting one that we'll be watching uh, with great interest. 
I mean, Matt, this is the saga that keeps unfolding. And I think, you know, when when we launched this article online and if you read sort of the feedback across industry, you know, feedback is mixed. I think that, you know, five cents on the dollar to suppliers and to all your other creditors is um, it doesn't instill you with confidence um, around the, the next rung. Yep, there's no balance sheet. Yep, they've done all of these things and that's what the, the press release is trying to instill confidence. But if I mm. was a supplier or I was a uh, company that partner brewed there, um, I wouldn't, uh, I still just wouldn't have confidence in a brand new general manager that um, money is going to keep th- flowing through charitable foundations when you don't really like if you Matt Kierkegaard couldn't explain that how does Fred from Fred's Brewing who wants to get their beer made there have any confidence about what the financial backing is going to be uh, well and again that that's the thing I guess is you've got a modern brewery that is now debt free so the charitable foundation has lost a lot of money, as have um, yeah. So so the new the new owners have lost a lot of money. They've ended up with the asset, but they've written off um, a, a lot of money, as have a lot of the suppliers. But at the end of the day, they were producing a lot of beer for a lot of customers, including some major retailers. Um, that continues, and now they do it without the burden of debt. Um, so, you know, I, I'd imagine that their suppliers will be keeping a very tight eye on supply, but as a couple of the suppliers that I've spoken to who have been burnt in a number of the, uh, voluntary administrations go, you know, we, we just have, we can't be their bankers. We need to keep an eye on, on costs. So, um, yeah, look, I, I don't think there needs to be a great deal of uncertainty. You just need to see what they're going to be doing differently. Um, so the business doesn't get back into that same position. So Ian, Ian, you were going to jump in a little bit earlier. Yeah, I I think it's just a time will tell scenario on this. It's just a wait and watch and see. And while the um, uh, balance sheet may be wiped clean, um, that doesn't change necessarily what they're working, knowing what their working capital is, what their cash flow situation is and how that can be structured over time and how effective uh, that can be over time to see whether there is viability uh, in the business as it as it exists now. But all we can really do is watch this space and 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 see what that can what, what will happen with that in the future. But it definitely, Matt, sounds you know I, I read into this I guess in a similar way that you did, which my first feedback is right. It's on. It's a stoush between Tribe and Brick Lane for um, partner brewing services. Uh, at at major scale partner brewing services. We know that Good Drinks had been doing a bunch and they'd sort of seem to pull back from that. There's obviously a lot of smaller breweries that do that on smaller volumes, but at at this scale um, there's sort of those two nationally and it certainly sounds like even in this media release they were, um, without naming any names, kind of trying to put their best foot forward. So I think that that's going to be the sort of the story here, I guess, in terms of those two entities. Mm. Both private, so neither of whom are ASX listed, right, both privately funded um, entities and, as you say, one now with a clean balance sheet and one with um, some of the most awarded gold medals. So, you know. That doesn't seem to have put too many feet wrong um, outside of its branding. Like it's it's a constant struggle to find its um, own brands. But then again, that's true of Tribe. But uh, yeah, um, it, it'll be very interesting to see as those two uh, major partner brewers um, duke it out. Particularly um, in this we'll... economic environment, right? In in this increasingly challenging economic and um you know the market that involves if if you are in bed with and have relationships with the 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 constant balance around retailers and stuff it's going to be it would be a tough place to be in in terms of the number of moving pieces that you need to keep on top of yeah because the the thing is if you're a contract brewer using the services of one of these two you're in a difficult position you're getting squeezed by the you, you, so you're probably going to be in the national retailers. So you're going to be getting squeezed by them, uh, and with rising costs uh, from the brewery that's making your product um, for you, and, and them having to put their prices up. 
um, as well, it, it could be a really difficult time for large volume contract brands. Um, and I think watching that space will will again be something uh, uh, that's that's interesting to to observe um, because it, there there is like two points really uh, as a bit of a squeeze there. And uh, if you are getting your beer produced for you by someone else, there's very little you can do in and uh, the the cost of manufacturers gone up there's very little that you can do about it if you've got your own um bricks and mortar your own equipment you can possibly look at at a few things as what you can do to reduce your cost but when it's coming from someone else all you can ask is pretty please yeah so another national brand quote unquote um that has uh, made a change or a significant announcement this week matt mighty craft review recognizes business model flaws Yes, uh, again, again, now, I, I, I don't know, I don't want to sort of sound, you know, but if you go back and listen to the podcast that I recorded with um, former CEO Mark Haysman, I think it was the 2021 one that got a little bit tetchy, um, I, think, I think it's fair to say, when he was talking about their platform for growth and, you know, getting scale, um, and I was pressing him about costs and where they were getting scale from, uh, I, I, I guess my question is, did they really need a board level strategic review to come up with the, these conclusions? And those conclusions are um, the new board chair, Chris Malcolm, acknowledged that the company's business model requires urgent change. Um, he said that uh, they needed to restructure head office costs to ensure sustainable earnings in the short term and immediately reduce debt um, to optimise the company structure. And that's sounds like a very corporate way of saying um, the cost base is disproportionate to the earnings profile, which I think really means we spent far too much uh, to earn as little as we did. Um, we borrowed too much that we can't pay back, and uh, we probably need to look at that. So they're, they're doing that. They've apparently taken uh, $4.4 million worth of annual costs out, which includes headcount reductions um, and other savings from head office and other lease cost reductions, um, further savings of $3 million annually. And we, outside of uh, Better Beer, which is a 10, 11, 12 million litre brand now, the rest of the company isn't making 2 million litres. I can't think of too many breweries that are only making 2 million litres that would have costs of $7 million um, that could be, let alone ones that could be cut out and still produce beer. So um, anyway, better beer, we continue to watch. Um, I, I think uh, looking at their stock price as we speak, 4.8 cents, right. which is a low, takes the market cap down to less than $20 million, um, which again seems extraordinary um if they're looking at asset sales now that none of the breweries are going to raise anywhere near that um you know jetty road um and i mean even the uh what is it mismatch hills um distillery that they paid 47 million dollars for just 18 months two years ago um they, they just won't realise it, particularly in the current market and as a distressed asset. But it astounds me that their 30% share in better beer um, doesn't have the stock market, um, you know, a little bit more buoyant about, you know, that you don't just have hedge funds coming in and buying on, on, on the basis that better beer at, you know, again, 10, 12 million litres um, doesn't have that sort of value that can be uh, you know realized. So very, very, very interesting to, to, to watch what happens there. But it, it, it sounds um, there the newspaper headlines, I worry about being too negative um, <laughs> when I write. But when I looked at the mainstream uh, headlines for um, uh, Mighty Craft this week, uh, I was actually being very, very conservative. Oh, it's it's hard to not say, um, and I know you hate to do it, but I told you so. I mean, I'm, in the first couple of financials that we looked at, I was like, how could head office costs be this much compared to 
to what they're doing. So, like, I mean, anybody who looked at that at any time and yet the argument was always, and I know in particular for Better Beer, they've got all of these additional sales stuff, they've got all of the head office stuff and this helps us to leverage. But you'd have to think that ultimately, you know, it, it, it's not helpful to better beer who were trying to, as you point out in the article, capital raise at the same time this review was occurring. But I think that, you know, if you were better beer, you'd be taking a look at uh, what is your exit because um, with this level of instability at Mightycraft, are they still the best vehicle to be sort of... Um, essentially performing your sales uh and and marketing functions or can you get can you do that yourself um and 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 how did how does a decoupling work here if the only value left to mighty craft in totality is a 30 percent share in better beer um so yeah it's um it, it will be really interesting it would it would be a shame i think and this is you know, this is an example of a sort of trying something novel that has not worked, but it would be a shame, I think, to see Better Beer um, unravel as a result of Mighty Craft. Um, so hopefully, you know, that can be sorted out. Um, but you know the other the other brands and businesses within the Mighty Craft portfolio must be pretty concerned because it means there's no capital to come in, right? So if they're in trouble themselves, that there's no there's no deep pockets there. There's no refinancing. You know, um, it's not great. Yeah, I think the other brands would be the ones. Um that would be most concerned at the at the moment. I think Better Beer will survive through it all. I am interested as to why there hasn't been maybe a swoop from someone because uh, it's a significant shareholding of Better Beer. And, you know, if we look at what its potential perceived value might be, that, that is, would Mitocraft would be a bit of a bargain in that way just to get that mm. and forget about the rest. Except they don't own Mighty Craft. They don't own Better Beer. Um, is the problem. So, they well, will they have a, a 30, 30% um, mm-hmm. shareholding in it? And if, you know, going by um, uh, other valuations, I think we discussed a few months ago that that would put the Better Beer value at uh, $200 million or something like that, was it? I'm trying to remember now. And, and that, that was what that, yeah. So, when, which when is all squishy numbers. March, um, you know, going back to squishy data last week, it's all squishy yeah. numbers. But um, yeah, Mitocraft shares being one tenth of what they went uh, to the ASX at, which I, I'm pretty sure was fifty cents. Um, and if they're yeah. they're below five now, um, yeah. Uh, but I think just tough market times is probably. Not many people willing to take that that risk, although they say you know when everyone's being cautious is the time to be greedy. Um, when everyone's being greedy is the time to be cautious. I think the challenge is there's this. So part of how um, Mighty Craft has ended up with this thirty percent share is because of this sort of buyback in terms of management services. So there's the the annual fee that was essentially paid. Uh, by Better Beer and and Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but there was a fee paid by Better Beer to Mighty Craft essentially for their um, sales and marketing functions. And so if Mighty Craft proper can no longer offer those services at the level required to service Better Beer, then what is that tie-in arrangement between the capital ownership structure and this. <laughs> this is all this, that, uh, yes. This is probably where we need a like a business business person on to a, talk a, us. And uh, we don't know what the we don't know what the contracts say, right? Are, yeah. So that's the point, right? What that, that that's why I was saying sort of this decoupling between better beer. It's not so much just selling the share percentage because of this tie-back relationship to the sales and marketing and we, and we don't but know that's not something that couldn't like. be done that was part of it the, could the, the be deal done. but that's not something that couldn't be done and that's you right. know better beer's got um arrangements with heineken in uh, new zealand yep. so you'd think that you know there would be replacements for whatever skills were lost um mm-hmm. you know going back to look at mighty craft 
it itself, I think when you look at the share price, the potential positives are we are going to see a lot more realism settle over the marketplace that, you know, I, I, I still have people telling me that, you know, you open a brew and we're going to come to a story now. Um, I, I spoke to Nick from Buckety's about something that we'll talk about. And, you know, he, he said that he has people coming up to him and going, oh, have you had offers? And Buckety's is a lovely little brewery that's very successful in terms of being a small little brewery. But there is just a perception that if you open a brewery, you're going to be bought out. Um, you know, and you're kind of going, it's, with 600 breweries, that's just not the thing. So hopefully Mighty Craft does take some of the hype and the hubris out. And Mighty Craft, the whole, th- the, the whole business was built on overconfidence and hubris and arrogance that you can take any small brewery and make it a national player if, you know, if, if you're a corporate enough dude and you've got enough money. And it just shows that there are so many more moving pieces in a successful beer brand than money or experience or anything. And uh, it, it, it makes the bolters of this world, you know, it, it really shows what an achievement a bolter or a stone and wood is. Yeah. Matt, that's a really interesting point. You know, um, I was just thinking about there was a time frame there um I know Claire did a lot of reporting on it for Bruce News, but there was a time frame there where almost every second week there was another um, crowdfund. And so mm. we were keeping the – and I actually think the time frame was sort of first half to middle of 2022. So all of those financials for those financial years for those breweries that crowdfunded off the back of a set of financials are going to be coming due for filing with, the a, uh, with ASIC and are required to be shared – shared with their shareholders and a lot of them were off the back of 40 million dollar 25 million dollar 30 million dollar valuations it will be and on the back of its 4.5 times um at the time it was like revenue it wasn't even um profit and so it will be really interesting to see if you did ran the numbers this year on the multiples, where they actually came out in terms of their valuations, because I think you're probably right. Um, if they were all capital raising in this market, it would, and we're going to talk about one that is. Well, we haven't seen any uh, equity crowdfundings for a while. Um, you know, it, it looks like they've moved on to cannabis, so uh, people can get, really get high on their own supply. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm very conscious of time because we do have a couple of uh, other non bruising news stories to talk about. Um, Ian, was there anything you wanted to finish up on with Minecraft? No, I don't think so. Let's just see. There's, there's going to be some pain possibly, unfortunately, coming for for some more people because of this and be interesting to see how they can they can restructure what was a very top-heavy business model. Yeah, yep, absolutely. So now moving on very quickly, uh, and we don't need to talk about this too much, um, Brow Bevial and DrinkTech, the two large, um, and I hadn't realised that, I, to be honest, hadn't realised that they were separate businesses, but they're the German trade shows and some of the biggest in the world, and I've been lucky enough to go to the last two uh, Brow Bevial and then Drink Tech, um, but they've merged. Um, so we're seeing industry consolidation, uh, you know, happening in a lot of places. And even, you know, these two trade show behemoths um, are, are coming together. So Brow will be held annually in Nuremberg every um Every year, annually, um, except in the years that Drink Tech is held, and Drink Tech is held every four years in Munich. So, uh, yeah, that, that's uh, interesting to see. Just more consolidation. We, we do have a lot of news that comes in. So we've started a new column called From the Newswires that is just summarising some of the stories that we think not everyone is a Radio Brews News listener. We've got a great chat room where people are keeping an eye out for interesting stuff and sharing it there. But we're just doing a little bit of a summary on a Friday for news that we see around the um, around the world that we think has a, a direct relevance um, or something that is worth bearing in mind in Australia um, and doing a little bit of editorial comment there and as much as we do here. And one that I saw last week was the positive impact of minimum unit price pricing questioned. Um, and that was uh, an article from Drinks Business uh, in the UK 
that a member of the Scottish Parliament, Dr. Sandesh Gulhain, um, I hope I've got that pronunciation correctly, has written to the UK Statistics Authority calling for an investigation into a Public Health Scotland report which claimed the minimum unit pricing for alcohol was having a positive impact on health incomes. Um, that followed the 2018 implementation of minimum unit pricing, and that's the minimum price you can charge per standard drink effectively if it was in Australia. Um, and the report showed that there were significant reductions in deaths from alcohol consumption. Um, now, I need to preface this by saying, because we don't deal in the Scottish Parliament on a daily basis, we don't know, and I don't know whether um, the good doctor is a member of our equivalent of One Nation or anything like that. So I don't know their credibility and how, but I still thought it was to take the stand of calling for an investigation into your own statistics authority, which would be our... Um, you know, uh, Bureau of Statistics um, to look into it. But there is quite a bit of, um, you know, debate about this. And I, I thought it was particularly interesting because we do see, um, you know, the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education that sounds like a benign and neutral group, um, which is actually a lobby group that has a stated objective um, and needs to be questioned as such. So, you know, I, I just thought this was interesting, um, particularly after Ireland recently introduced World First Health Labelling, and they're automatically celebrated in the news as being positives, and you don't see a lot of questioning or interrogation of the claims that are made um, for, for these sorts of things, because it is automatically assumed that alcohol is bad and it's, uh, you know, so anyway, I, I just thought that was one that was well worth uh, keeping in mind. I think these things are always worth keeping in mind. Scotland is undertaking that review around marketing um, bans as well. So not just Ireland, but Scotland are looking at the same thing. And I think, you know, I just always remember this when we were having the pregnancy labelling discussion. And again, this was in my capacity on behalf of the Brewers Guild. But there just wasn't even an appetite to consider the genuine facts about whether by the time somebody had picked up a bottle of alcohol, if they were pregnant, like there was no interest, there was genuinely no interest by government in doing the things that the research actually said needed to do, which was run education campaigns. There was only interest in, well, if we've put a thing on the label, that's that's the end of the story. And so it was just so infuriating the way that the research was laid out, it, it 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 just it didn't get to the heart of the issue, which I think as an industry we want to get to the heart of. But it found band aid solutions so that government can say we've done something, and actually at the point at which somebody's picking up a bottle if they're pregnant, a picture of a, a pregnant lady isn't going to be like, oh shit, I didn't know this. I'm learning about it for the first time. So I just think it's that constant reinforcement that these things are happening in our industry. And at a time when we have very little wiggle room to make a product at a saleable price at all, the time and cost and money on these regulatory uh, changes that are in the wind um, is significant and 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 gives you every reason to need to get behind your industry bodies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, once again, it seems I'm saying this all all day today, but something interesting to watch on from here. Um, things like this, decisions in Parliament. Um, this is quite typical of how they how they go and yeah you're absolutely right sabrina uh, we need to tackle these problems earlier than by the time someone's got the product in their hand and all doing things like that does is cya cover your ass um and not just in relation to our industry but in relation to a lot of things that's unfortunately how human nature and politics works um and what we need to do and we perhaps this is something we can do we can put on our list of long things to do as an industry is make steps um, ourselves to start to address these things. Because if we don't, we'll just get these actions. And these actions are bad for us as an industry, but they are also bad for society um, and the community as well. If that's what we're doing is our way to addressing uh, actual potential problems, 
leaving it to the last step where all someone's doing is covering their ass, that's that's just not good enough. And so we need to this is something that we as beer in beer in Australia, we need to we need to start um, moving forward on ourselves before we have terrible decisions made for us. Mate, that's you make a good point because again, I sometimes talk. You know, for you know, if we do this, then this happens, and this happens, and there is a perception of beer, and you know, there may be this outcome that's negative for the industry. But we do actually see that now, and I've had some interesting conversations. It's dry July. I've done been sort of on the radio a bit talking about alcohol free and alcohol free beers and things. But I've also been talking to you know, a, a number of people with, you know, research and medical backgrounds. And we're in a situation where anxiety is an increasing problem in society. And, you know, a, a lot of people are talking about CBD and THC as cures for um, anxiety, as panacea, you know, as, as a way to solve anxiety. And the, 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 problem that i see it is is that one of the functional benefits of alcohol in and i have to absolutely stress that i'm talking about small amounts you know very modest uh, amounts of drinking but there is all of the study and i've talked about the drunken monkey and i've talked about all these things but you when you have a drink you feel good like you feel positive you feel relaxed Um, and there is a school of thought that that encourages us to go out and socialize. We all, I mean, I, I would defy anybody to say that they don't have social anxiety when they walk into a party. They don't dread the thought of going somewhere. And that is one of the things that alcohol does provide. It, 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 it is a social lubricant. And there is a, you know, there, there is a school of thought that small amounts of alcohol are what made broad societies come together you know you go out and have work drinks people that you don't know very well it's an icebreaker and that has come to be perceived as a negative but it is something that we've actually used and when you think about it we as an industry we cannot even talk about that in our marketing because ABAC has an absolute prohibition against talking about mood altering or anything like that which is just an undeniable fact that alcohol does alcohol triggers a range of feel-good chemicals in us that does change our mood but we can't talk about that we can't talk and so we can't even effectively talk about you know if you know have a mature honest discussion about that and because if we do and excuse you know sorry kids block your ears there are in this industry that want to take it too far and we see that in the in in the social media advertising that people think that it's fun it's good to celebrate drunkenness and you know the worst elements of alcohol so we can't actually talk about the best thing and that is actually a problem that we've got when we talk about the beauty and the joy and the camaraderie that having a single beer can have um, and, and it's problematic for the industry. I wonder, Matt, if in like 20 years' time, so, you know, I I obviously I have a young son and so I think a lot about sort of where's the future going and one of the things that is occurring right now um, in, in, in sort of fairly staggering numbers in most countries is the um, radicalisation of young men, in particular into various sort of th- online um, and, and what that's doing and one of the solutions, it, you know, based on everything that I've read, is that people need to go out and socialise in person. We need to get people off computers, off their screens, off their internet chat rooms, their discords, their various things, and into the community, be that through a sporting team, a um, what used to be church groups, then what used to be after work drinks. Uh, and I wonder, I, I do sit there and think, you know, um, I obviously grew up in an era where you would socialise at the pub or you would socialise yep. outdoors or you would, I, I don't know. And so I, I do, I think about it a lot in terms of I wonder what, Research will be done in 20 years' time that says we've turned so far away from the things that we were 
socialising around and over, be it church was the third place, kind of pubs and breweries became the new third place. Um, and, and when those disappear, what does that mean? And it is, it's just such a fine balance. It's so tricky. But it is really that sort of thinking about when we're 20 years down the track from now and we're all listening to press conferences from robots and everybody's a fucking avatar, like what will we have lost and what will the health science then say about what we lost? And I and I do I think about that a lot just in the context of, um, you know, ra- raising young kids. I actually call that the uh, paper bag problem. When I was a kid, you took your... Um, groceries home you know in in a paper bag you know you you you, pla- you paper bagged your groceries um brown paper bags carried home and then people started worrying about the trees and it wasn't well we can do this sustainably or whatever there was just a shift to plastic and now plastic is killing the turtles and we're back in my 50s with brown paper bags at the shops because that is now sold to us. And, and, and to me, this is part of it because we went so far in badly promoting alcohol that and promoting alcohol in the wrong way that it is now very much on the nose. But, you know, I, I, and I say over and over, brew pubs, if they're looking for their unique selling proposition, it is as the third place. You can come here. We are the responsible place to have a beer. Can I jump in with a, um, we haven't discussed this, but can I do a Brewery of the Week? Of course. um, Brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Um, So uh, Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has got you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And we are very much looking forward to seeing Derek at uh, Brewcon in a few weeks' time. Um, and this is a local brewery, but I went to the new Hip Hops Brewers at the Sheds at Brendale on Saturday and it has quickly, so it's down the road from Brendale Brewing. Yes, this is a sort of a north side Brisbane, but it has been built very much with the um, third place in mind. So they've got this outdoor area. They've got chalk for the kids. It's all gated off so that the kids can't get onto the road. There was a whole gathering of people with prams, young babies, children. There was wheelchair parking. There was easy access bathrooms. And it was the kids were playing outside in the sun. There were a couple of situations where it was like dad and daughter young daughter you know so dad had a little tasting paddle and the kid was reading the books and playing and I just thought these guys have really nailed that this is you're in suburbia your audience is suburban families who are looking for somewhere to come with their children they are not looking for loud music they're looking for things for the children to do so that they can socialize they had a nice range of beers on tap um Ian, I'm sorry to say I didn't take a solid look at the brewery, So, um, but the whole venue was very clean. Uh, and I just sort of thought, you know, they've really, they understand their audience um, and and it had those vibes. And so I thought, you know, I hope that this is successful in this space um, because I think they've really understood who their market is um, and they're providing that socialisation opportunity rather than, you know, trying to dominate the world with the offering. So just a shout out to um, Hip Hops at Brenda. And that's my brewery of the week. Ian, did you, sorry, did, did, we, we, I can't even remember what story we're discussing now. We've gotten very deep <laughs> we moved into. On uh, from, we moved on from positive impact of ma- minimum unit process questions. That's it, yeah. No, I, I, don't, I, think, I, I, th- I think I said my, my piece on that one, Matt, that, you know, um, yeah, I think that's about it. But we went in a nice little rabbit hole in. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might skip over this one a little bit. Yeah. Uh, another thing, brewing industry woes go mainstream. We talked about it to some extent last week, just sort of looking at some of the mainstream coverage of the industry's woes. And uh, Sabrina, you've added um, a story from the SMH. Um, habits have changed, but more Australians are drinking than before the pandemic. The one thing I'll say about that is it was based on a – um, yeah. What was it? A Nielsen poll or a Morgan mm. poll? Which Roy Morgan's. Roy Morgan's. Um, 
which is survey-based, which is never, yeah, again, in, in terms of alcohol, unfortunately, the ABS statistics are always years behind, but we, we can very precisely quantify, um, except for stuff that's brewed illegally, but, or homebrew that's not counted, how much people are purchasing, how much alcohol people are purchasing, and how much is various um, products. And unfortunately, that is a couple of years behind um, but in the US, it's much more up to date. And I think uh, that actually showed that people are drinking less. You know, when you look at the excise take on beer, particularly um, in, in the States, it's uh, um, a little bit less. So I actually take some of those um, poll-based things with a grain of salt. Yeah, I think what was more interesting rather than, I mean, the title sort of says something, but it's the um, qualitative data, as in the comments that have come out that say, you know, um, people are essentially ditching beer for spirits and you've got publicans saying, yeah, people are quite legitimately having less beer and saying I don't need to have 10 pints and I need to have uh, two martinis. And so I think that is consistent with uh, concerns that have been raised about what's happening with younger drinkers uh, and beer. And so really for me it was those qualitative sort of comments around spirits over beer, um, which seems to be somewhat consistent with things that we're hearing and and part of the reason that breweries are often looking at beer adjacent um, or beer alternate products. And so that the bit to me that sort of really jumped out. Now, uh, we're moving on uh, to other news, which I suspect is going to take a little bit of discussion as well. Um, But before we do, there's no real segue to this. I'm just going to roll straight in to thank our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging uh, and let you know that they're really looking forward to catching up with everyone at this year's BrewCon on the Gold Coast after such a long absence. Hopefully, we'll get to see you there and we'll get to see Rallings. Uh, As you know, as you would know well and truly by now, they can supply can or bottle labels, shrink sleeves for cans, uh, supplied ready for you to fill, cartons either printed or plain, tap decals, coasters and four-pack barcodes and much, much more. They are your one-stop shop for all your brewing and labelling needs and they do genuinely love being part of this industry. So give them some love and give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss your options or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. I actually saw Paul today, popped into the brewery um, with a que- uh, uh, to help us with a question we had about some some label stuff, and he said, oh, and you're not doing the podcast today, and mate, as soon as I finish cleaning this tank and get back up, I'm straight, <laughs> off to, straight off to go and do that. Oh, there you go. So I, I, I would have segued in that way in Servas if you had any visitors, but, uh, yep, uh, no, um, Actually, he was also uh, on the Beer Healer podcast that uh, has not become as regular. So if you want to find him, uh, again, straight away, my thought was, God, I hope it wasn't a good interview because I'll be jealous that we didn't have it. But it would be very, very hard for us to have um, the guys from Allings on our podcast because it would just look Like odd. another but- ad? Go and listen to them on the Beer Healer. Um, yeah. So go go listen to them on the Beer Healer. Um now, in other news, uh, Sabrina, you've thrown these in. Do you want to? Yep. Um, so you had a great chat with um, Beer as a Conversation this week. Everybody take a listen. It's another sort of, I don't want to say cautionary tale, but sort of um, explainer on the things to think about, even on the publican side of it. So beyond the brewery side of it, thinking about, um, you know, pubs around the country. So I think that was a great listen. And then uh, one that if you're a small brewery, really encourage you to listen to. Um, This was a recording of a talk at BrewCon 2018 as part of our BrewCon replay series on the proper costing of beer. And it's by Maria Pierman, who actually lectures in this topic at various universities in the US and has written a book um, there's this interview, there's a, another interview that Matt recorded with her, which is similar but not the same. Um, and I really recommend listening to it because the points and lessons she make couldn't be more relevant than in this environment. Uh, so it's a really uh, a really great listen and I think the point is, um, you know, this directly came out of BrewCon 2018 and so if you're thinking about wanting content like this, uh, get your tickets now for BrewCon 2023 on the Gold Coast. 
So, uh, sorry, Sabrina. Yeah, that, that one was really good. I was uh, hoping that would be brought up. I just finished listening to that today, um, and that's excellent. Now, listening to that is not going to solve every problem you have, but it's going to make you think about it and reach out to those that can help you with it. It's very common, uh, and even not just in small breweries, but medium and larger breweries too, that don't have a full understanding of the cost of their goods and what it's actually costing them to, to make the beer. Now, if you don't know that, you can set a price for your beer because um, you just don't know when you're going to go broke then. Uh, there's two things. You need to be able to know uh, what the potential cost of your beer is going to be so you can set a price for it. And then you need to know what the actual um, cost of your beer is. And you need to have those two running and you need to have them running in parallel at all time and building your data up from that. And if you haven't listened to that, go and have a listen to that because it is going to make you think and then you could possibly reach out to people that can help you a little bit more, um, be specific um, uh, accountants or those with a lot of experience in that area and do we are in tougher times at the moment. You need to understand what your beer is costing you to produce. And I think even, Ian, like the bit for me was you don't need to be the person responsible for finance in your brewery because if you can get an understanding of this, you can understand the, how the whole mechanics of your business works and what are the tweaks that you can make in your department. You know, why is there no extra money for marketing spend? Why is this thing being tricky? And that's the type of things folks are trying to look at. So so, so to me, it was a really, really relevant one. Um, and all I was going to flag from there is that it, in line with um, BrewCon 2023, if you haven't already seen, they have put out a call for volunteers. So um, we've, we've, circulated that way we can and hopefully they're finding enough folks find a link yeah if you're interested in you know it maybe if you're not part of the industry but you'd like to be more involved in the industry uh jump on now i am going to i i think we're gonna to have to jettison a few other things there's some yep. great discussions going on in our radio brews news facebook group but the one that i did want to include um given that uh it's a 10 minute insert is this is something that sabrina found uh or got emailed and it's Buckety's, which is a great little brewery in Manly. Um, you can follow their, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of their planning uh, in backstories on Brewers News. But they had a really good post that we've linked to in the show notes um, with the provocative title, Who Killed Buckety's Beer Club? And they had a beer club, they've recently killed it, um, and they had a really honest, um, transparent discussion about why. So go read that. But uh, I had a quick chat with Nick um, from Buckety's this morning, so I'll play that now, and then we can uh, have a quick chat about it afterwards. This is uh, Nick from Buckety's. Nick McDonald, thanks for joining uh, Brews News Week. Hey, you're welcome. Mate, who killed Buckety's Beer Club? <laughs> very, very provocative title. Yeah, well, you know, it's, bit of, it's, it's what you got to do, right, to get attention. But, yeah, I mean, that was me, you know, I confess, I... I'm the murderer. Club. <laughs> so tell us about it. You know, um, we have heard uh, a lot talked about, you know, breweries going direct to market and founding uh, beer clubs. But clearly you gave it a try and you found that it wasn't something that was working terribly well for you. So talk us through your, your, your initial plans to open um, a, a beer club, why you did it and, uh, you know, what was the thinking? Yeah, there was a couple of factors at play. Like we wanted to to get our beers out there to, you know, kind of be uh, fanatics, I guess, like people that love craft beer and love limited releases and all this kind of thing. And we're known around where we are on the beaches as a great venue, but I think our beer doesn't necessarily get the attention that it, maybe should like we make really good beers but people know us for the venue so I thought, well this is a good opportunity to kind of connect with people potentially all around australia that are keen to to try some of our beers because we've got a couple of like world cup medal winning beers which is like, mm. a huge huge deal um so i thought that might be a good way and also to you know from a business perspective to try and generate a little bit of recurring revenue um without having to worry about whether it's going to rain or whether or not Something's going to happen in the in the venue that's going to um, have an impact on our on our ability to sell beer. So yeah, to try and produce another income stream, sell beer regularly online, which we don't do a huge amount of, which we'd like to, um, and then also create a bit of a community of sort of buckety fans that are hanging out for our next release. Like that was the the broad strokes vision. And you know, you, you came up with a proposition. You know, eight fresh tins delivered to your door um, with a mix of 
you know, club only beers so that you could get plus the core favourites. Um, yeah. Uh, a free pint in the venue every Wednesday, um, a free pint every time you release a new beer, a free glass and a hat when signing up, and uh, a member only beer night once per month. So it, it, it sounds like it was a nice mix of value for potential club members, but then also, you know, something that was evening out your mid you know, your weeknights. Week not weekends are pretty busy, trying to get people yeah. in the venue on a Wednesday. If they come in for one, maybe they'll buy one um, kind of thing. It, 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 yeah. it, is that what you were trying to do? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. We sort of thought, well, how do we create a huge amount of perceived value? Like it was 68 bucks a month, but how can we sort of pack in you know, potentially $200 worth of value. And if you go, all right, well, pints, 12, 13 bucks times four every Wednesday, plus we beer nights where you come in and you, like, you know, do hop sensory or learn the brewing process or learn about grains with one of the actual brewers, like all, all these kind of add values. Um, so we tried to make it worth a lot of money where you go, okay, 68 bucks, that's a bargain. Like that was our intention when we set it, started it up. Um, but yeah, what we found is a vast majority can't, couldn't access some of the benefits, which was specifically around those midweek pints. Mm. Um, so as a result, they just found it really expensive. Um, and one of the, one so, of the so they found it expensive, but were you making any money on the $68 per month? No, and this was, again, part of the reason we killed it. So because it was, there were such small runs, like we had these, they were Buckety's branded cans, but they were handwritten labels. So we had someone spending hours writing out each individual beer and the ABV and that kind of stuff and then sticking them to cans and then packing them to special boxes and writing up tasting notes. And, I mean, you know, the experience that you would expect when you sign up to a brand that you love, like kind of like, you know, if you sign up to Wine Club or whatever, you get all these nice little things to connect you to the, the story of the wines or story of the beers in our case. That sort of stuff. So we put a lot of effort into that. And it was just, it was hours and hours and hours. The actual beer itself, not particularly expensive, but the amount of energy that it required for us to get these beers into tins and then get them to the hands of the customers in a nice presentable way was, yeah, substantial. So, yeah, we were losing money on every case, to answer your question. If you'd gotten enough take-up, would it have reached scale? Or it sounds like some of that work that was involved, the bigger the beer club the more work was involved and scale might have been difficult to get anyway. Yeah, I mean, we sort of, if you had hundreds of members, it would be all right because you can, you get economies of scale. Yeah. But like you could get custom printed labels, as an example. Like I didn't think that handwriting labels would actually require that much effort, but it, it really <laughs> did. Um, so like it just as one small example, right? And also, you know, if you're pumping out three layers of beer instead of 50, um, again, like you know, having to set up the whole can because we got a, a sort of a, like a candy machine on wheels, so you have to it takes a bit of setting up and packing down all that kind of stuff. So like all these extra little things, like if you were doing hundreds and hundreds of members, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But yeah, I think that you know, I think we had maybe thirty members at one point, and that was yeah, just a bit of a waste of time. <laughs> and and what sort of feedback did you get from the people that? did join and also what feedback did you get from people that liked the brewery and the brand but didn't join yeah so the feedback from the people that came to the wednesdays and came to the brewers nights and stuff they loved it like they really got a lot of value out of it they kind of liked having a little bit of a connection with other because it was other sort of home brewers and stuff that joined as well um so that sort of like club aspect that was sort of sad to see that go but um the people that couldn't enjoy those brewer nights or the midweek pints, they more or less just said one one person particularly I remember said this is Australia's most expensive beer club. <laughs> um, so, uh, fair enough. You take you take all the feedback you get. Um, People are pretty from, blunt uh, when they're not face to face. Yeah, but I mean you know it's all part of it. But if you go all right, you get eight beers for sixty eight bucks. You know that is that is pretty expensive. So yeah. So how how long did you run it? And you know, I, I guess how quickly did you decide it wasn't working and uh, killed it off? Um, we ran four months in total. Yep. So but we did this huge lead up campaign. Like we spent big bucks on like professional marketing and videos and um, you know a whole bunch of like e commerce tools and that kind of stuff. And we with the pitch of like 
sign up and we'll give you a free beer for a year. We'll give one person free beer for a year. You've got to come down and be part of like, – there's a few hurdles to it, but to build some awareness around mm. it. And, yeah, it just didn't – like we got some attention, but, you know, we had maybe a few hundred people sign up to the whole free beer for a year where I kind of expected that to be substantially more. Um, and then it kind of just fizzed. We had this big launch night, um, again, which we put a lot of energy into. We said, okay, come down. We'll give you a free pint. We'll shout you free fit, free food. You don't have to commit anything. Just come down and just hear part of our story or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that, like we got hands, like maybe 30 or 40 people down. Like when you say someone free beer, free food, I kind of expected there to be a bit of a um, – bit of a buzz about that but yeah just didn't just didn't like click people didn't re- didn't resonate and, the way that i thought it would for, for, for those that don't know the brewery like you, you are a successful book it, it, it's not a place that is deserted seven nights a week and you're just trying to get anyone in the door you are a successful yeah, yeah, venue so yeah, like it's and, and yeah, even not, so it's it was not crickets it's it's busy normally yeah you know we, we put a a mediocre dad rock band on and we get a beer crowd. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so what did you learn? You know, what, what are your takeaways um, from doing this? Was the investment in marketing valuable? Uh, so I suppose my gut on the marketing was that we actually maybe tried to get it a bit too slick. Um, and the stuff that seems to work for us anyway from a digital marketing perspective is that when it's, kind of rough and ready and a bit more authentic mm. um so that would because that's normally what we do but in this instant we were like no let's try and be serious um and actually i don't think that worked at all um the idea around free pints midweek and tying a lot of the value to actually coming into the venue didn't really work um yeah because if people couldn't access that then there was no value and vast majority of people couldn't access it. I probably in, if we did it again, I'd do free points anytime. Um, because we're super busy on weekends. I thought we'll try and pad out the, the midweeks sort of selfishly, but that was, uh, that was definitely a mistake. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that it needs serious scale. Like if you're a craft brewery that specializes in limiteds, then maybe you can get away with it. But, we, we aren't known for that, and that was part of the whole reason of doing this, to try and expand some of that awareness. Um, yeah, so I know it's a really tough one. I think, also think that people are just sick of subscriptions too, potentially. <laughs> you, seems like you can't buy anything just straight up anymore. Everyone's trying to hook you up to a monthly fee, and I, I wonder if there's a bit of fatigue on that as well. Okay. You, you are going to try something different. Do you know yet what that is? Yeah, so we're going to – we don't know – the final iteration of it but we recently um the team and i went to nashville for the world beer cup and checked out a whole bunch of the breweries around there and they're, like they're kind of they're much more mature scene than us and a bunch of them have this thing called like a mug club which is you know a yearly fee and then you get discounts in the venue and maybe you get a shirt and maybe you get a few extra perks but it's a much lower upfront yearly cost and then you get maybe a special mug and you get to feel special and all that sort of stuff so that sort of links in as far as you know building that community and the whole the club and the inner circle vibe which i think is cool definitely like to do that but i'd say that's going to be the next iteration but yes putting beer in cans in small quantities and trying to sell them is just really hard Mate, thank you very much for, for talking through. Thank you for the post as well. You know, it was a really honest, yeah. uh, interesting yeah. post. And uh, thank you for joining us to talk a little bit about it today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for the interest. Cheers. Matt, I thought that was a really great chat with Nick. The reason I thought this was so good and I sort of uh, flicked it on to you when I read it was it was just that piece that was um, – it was really honest. It was written in a really transparent way it did a little bit of me mea culpa so it said sort of said oh, we got some things wrong it wasn't placing blame on everyone um i show i thought it showed like a real sort of maturity of the business to sort of say we tried something we didn't it didn't work um and then in your interview with nick you know they only went about it for four months so they obviously um 
again fail like fast. Fail fast. They, they, they realize they, very quickly. Yep. They put a lot of money into it. He said even on the marketing. And the bit that I thought was really interesting is that he sort of said, "Oh, we um, our marketing in the lead up to this was probably too sophisticated." And then you read this story and the way they've communicated about this with the people that are fans of Bucketies, people that want to know, and it's very honest and transparent. It makes you feel like you, the individual, are being spoken to. It gives you all of the things that they say they've been trying to cultivate with a with a club-like atmosphere, with that sort of being part of the community. And I just thought... Um, yeah, they're starting to really understand who they are and what their loyal consumers want. They had wanted to use this as an opportunity to sort of um, explain that, yeah, they're this great community hub, but they also make top-class, world-class beer, and they were trying to use this as a vehicle to help make that case. I'm with you, Sabrina. I thought that was really insightful that we were too slick, and which, again, if you're trying to save money, just being honest and talking to your consumers, you, you don't need an expensive marketing person. You don't need an expensive social media. You can just do it yourself and you're going to get better results if you've got a, a well-engaged audience. Yeah, and it's really fascinating because then, you know, obviously you've done interviews with them in the past. Um, you know, they had these wins out of a World Beer Cup, I think. And so then I started playing on their website and, gee, You'd be so proud if you were them and got some of these Google reviews. Mm. Like, and, and the Google reviews speak specifically to this environment that they've cultivated. When things don't go wrong, they step in and fix them. Um, and, and I just thought, you know, they really have built something. As he said, we've really built a venue that has a strong following um, mm. and they don't get enough credit for their beers. But it sort of says, okay, we're going to try something else. Uh, and I just... Yeah, I, I just I couldn't love any of this more. I just think that they are really um, – it, it was – I would have felt as somebody receiving that email, I did feel as somebody who receives or reads those emails, which was sent out to people who subscribe to Bucketees, as um, sort of included in the thought process. You know, I felt part of the team. I'm with you, Sabrina, and uh, I think if you haven't gone and read their post, go and have a read of their post um, about it. It's it's beautifully honest, and if you're in a small brewery or, or medium brewery or whatever and you're looking at doing a um, a, a beer club thing, you, I think they've provided us with some wonderful information there that we can all we can all learn from and so that when you go to formulate something like this, you can you can learn from our, our comrades, um, our colleagues' um, mistakes uh, and what, what, what they did and um, what looked right to them at the time and then they've, they found out it wasn't right for them and they've killed it quickly and they've done it in such a way that um, it's just cemented themselves more with their followers. And uh, the, the, the one takeaway is it's okay to try things and not have them work out. There is no shame. You know, sometimes I think... We don't celebrate failure enough. Um, you know, when, when it's like this, when when failure is done well, it should be celebrated. And also, they took the time to have an additional call with you, Matt, to help educate the rest of the industry on 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 what their lessons are. So even amongst we've lost all of this money, even amongst yeah, it didn't work out well for us. They've still got this sort of industry mindset, community mindset, and you just go, that is going to sustain a business in the long run. It just you, it just is, you know, um, <laughs> because they're going to try things. And so, yeah, I just I loved it. And congrats, Bucketies. Wonderful. Just before we go, uh, big news just overnight, and it, it feels like something that we should really talk more at length. It just hasn't been possible this week, but... Uh, the, the 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 loss of Anchor um, Brewing, which is a, a, a very storied brewery, um, and I, I think lays the claim to being the oldest uh, craft brewery in in America. It was certainly the one that inspired um, a, a lot of the modern craft breweries. And uh, Ian, you'd know it very very well. Yeah, I, I, I do, and I've followed the story of it um, for the entire time, well, just about the entire time I've been heavily into beer. Um, 
yeah, 127 years old, uh, taken over by um, a, a brewery that was going to go under and that was no longer popular, taken over by Fritz Maytag um, in 1965 or, or thereabouts. Um, and with very ancient, there's some there's some good interviews out there um, on on the net uh, with Fritz if you want to have a, a listen to them um, with some pretty rudimentary equipment for a brewery of its size. Um, turned the place around uh, uh, quite a, quite a bit. Um, kept alive a style that has a lot of parallels to our own uh, Australian sparkling ale, not the same beer, but has some parallels to that. Um, kept that alive. Um, brought that to more new people and introduced some uh, beer styles to people that hadn't been done in quite some time. You know, re- basically reintroduced the barley wine um, to 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 the US or made the American barley wine. We brought back in a big way the the IPA through Liberty Ale. Uh, I, I believe it was the possibly the first to be using Cascade before it was actually called Cascade, wow. but it was just a test batch. Um, don't quote me on that one, but I, I, I believe that was the the case. Well, I was certainly using it by 1975 when that hop was released in 1972-73. Um, yeah, very, very influential um, brewery and a very big part of world um, beer history um, and a big influencer in what we know as the craft beer movement. Um, sadly gone, not just for sale, not, you know, in administration, but they're shutting up shop. That's um, that's what I don't get. I don't get why they didn't try and sell it. Like, it, it just seems actually, you know, vandalism in, in, in a sense, uh, I I agree, Matt. No, that's that's the thing that makes me really really sad about it. Um, they're not giving someone else the opportunity to to do something on with it, um, uh, and I fully don't understand um, how that can be. Oh, I reckon that's why we'll we'll probably be talking about this next week because there's been some pieces written about it, but no doubt over the course of the next week out of the US. It the only journalists- came out last night, and the very first story I saw was Dave Infonte, who's a yeah. you know, very good writer, saying that it's going to be sold and because they had an old hand. So it shows what happens if you get ahead of the media, but ahead of the, 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 the news. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think we might leave it there given time, but definitely that'll be one that we come back to next week yeah. once uh, we, we see a bit more of the fallout. Well, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz, and Ian Watson. The show is edited and produced uh, by Joe Helder. We thank Rallying's Labels, Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this possible. We'll be back next Tuesday with another Beer as a Conversation and uh, obviously back next week with another discussion about all things news. In the meantime, enjoy your beers. 